My name is Anthony. I'm pastor here at Free Church. And if you are joining us online, I saw a lot of people are today. We want to welcome you as well, wherever you are joining us from. Um, I have just, I think, one brief announcement I'd like to give, kind of what we call speaker announcements. And then we're going to uh, be praying for a uh, family that's going to be moving. And then we're going to get into our message today. So my, my speaker announcement today is that next week is Sunday, June the 12th. And this, for, for those of you who have kids in school or you have relatives in school, this has been an incredibly busy week. I know it has been for my family, as will the week ahead. Um, next Sunday on the 12th, um, we're going to be honoring graduates. And so if you have or are graduating from high school, um, if you're graduating from college, uh, from some sort of a, um, a trade school or military service this next coming week, we would love to honor you, uh, pray over you, bless you, and um, just celebrate this next step of your life. And for next week, we're going to be taking a break from our Exodus journey series and just having a message for those, um, just for those who are stepping into the future, and that's really all of us. So this great message, great time honoring our graduates next week, and so make sure you're here. And then if you would like to, following our service next Sunday at 11 a.m., we're going to have a summer kickoff beach party. And so the weather is supposed to get nice again this week. It's supposed to be nice even in Lincoln City. And so we're going to be joining together as a church family at the Northwest 15th Street Drive-On Beach in Lincoln City. And so we'll have some people from our church there uh, right around, uh, probably around 1 to 1.30. Uh, we're going to have a bonfire, um, just simply a time to hang out. You can come and go as you please and just get to know one another. And so this is something where oftentimes if the weather permits, people will stay all the way until sunset, which is pretty late uh, this time of year. So there's also been tons of orca sightings off the Oregon coast. And so would love to see some big, tall dorsal fins next week as well. So join us next Sunday after our 11 a.m. service for the beach party, and then join us during the service for our graduation recognition. Week after that is Father's Day. Just a lot of stuff going on, and we're excited to step into the summer. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite uh, our friends up, uh, Jeff Kelly and Piper Milliken. We're going to be praying over them today. They are going to be moving um, Kelly has accepted a job at the Yellowstone Ranch, and so they're moving to Montana uh, in a couple of weeks. They're going to be moving. I know Jeff's going ahead uh, this week. Piper and Kelly are going to be meeting them, and so we have a lot of people in our church family starting to move out of state. So if you guys want to come on up, we want to just pray over you. Uh, the Millicans have been a part of our church family and gotten very close with us over the last um, year and a half or two years, and it is very sad to see you guys coming. I know you guys like to be on the stage, so come and step on the stage. And I'll ask my wife to come up and join me and pray over them. And uh, Julia Laris, if you were here, would you come up and pray over them as well? I thought I saw you earlier. She's not here. Okay. She doesn't want to pray over you. I was going to ask Julia and Ladina to pray, but I know they're both down in kids today. And so you guys are moving here in a couple weeks. And what's the area you're moving to again? Billings, Montana. Billings, okay. And they did not accept a job at Yellowstone Ranch. Yeah, they, they wish. Okay. It's a dangerous place to work. And so uh, we just want to pray a blessing over your family. And um, if you guys could be praying for them, and I know that we'll see them. You guys are going to come back and visit. You still have family here. And so they're still a part of the Free Church family. So would you guys, um, if you could extend your hands this way as we just pray a prayer of blessing over them. Uh, God, I thank you for this precious family, for our friends, for our brother, and for our sisters. God, thank you, Lord Jesus, for blessing them, God, with this opportunity to move. Thank you, God, for 
the open sky that they're going to be uh, moving to for new friends, for new community, for new life, God, that they're entering into. God, bless every step of their way. I pray that you would prepare every step for them. God, I pray that they would grow closer to you through this next step in their lives. I pray that they would grow closer together as a family. God, prepare uh, the neighbors, the friends, uh, the people that will surround them for them as they arrive. God, provide for them in every way. I pray, Lord Jesus, for uh, a great school for Piper, for a great job for Kelly, God, that Jeff would be blessed in his job as he is there, Lord Jesus, and that they would enjoy not just one another and the land they're moving to, the people they meet, but the new house that you bless them with, God. God, bless them, surround them, fill them with your spirit, God. We trust you with them. Uh, bring them back uh, often to visit, Lord Jesus, and help us to be a blessing for them from afar. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much. All right, if you guys have uh, Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of Leviticus, we are continuing this Exodus journey series, looking at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we're going to be doing this until we hit the end of the summer, taking a couple breaks along the way. Uh, We just have two weeks left in this portion of this series that we're just calling the map, where God is laying out essentially instructions for living to be a part of his covenant people. And um, this forces us to just deal with really bizarre topics. And so I know a couple weeks ago, Tim did a great job talking about clean and unclean animals. Last week, we talked about this whole issue of um, the sacrifice of goats and Azazel and what that meant for the people of Israel during this time. And today is really no different as we're looking into some bizarre laws that God gives to the people of Israel that seem like um, they're completely unrelated, uh, completely unapplicable to each other, or in some cases for us today. And so we're going to try and pull some of that apart and show how these things are incredibly relevant for us today and how they actually apply to some current events that we're going through as a nation. And so a couple of things is we're going to talk about several things that are sensitive topics today. We will talk about uh, the violence that our country and the world has been experiencing these last couple of weeks. Um, and I just want to state as we talk about that, um, as a church, we don't exist to make any sort of political statement or stance. We're here to preach the word of God. And so sometimes when you look at things like this, you might think like, oh, this is a political thing. And it's, it's just simply not. Uh, We're also going to be looking at sensitive topics um, that have really plagued our nation and the world and that the church oftentimes gets kind of sensitive about, Um, but I would like to offer these topics with grace, with love, and with hope, and so we talk about something today that you identify with that kind of strikes you to your heart. Um, Know that God loves you. Um, The church is for you. We want to encourage you, equip you, challenge you. Preach the truth of the Word of God, but also offer it up with much grace. And so if you want to dialogue about some of these things, we'd love to do that with you. And so um, jumping in here, um, we have experienced the last couple of weeks just um, horrible bloodshed uh, within our nation. And this, this whole idea of, of violence and murder in our cities or mass shootings is something that we have become uh, far too familiar with, unfortunately. And I, I want to talk just for a minute, again, uh, about something, a sensitive topic, but talk just for a second about abortion because it's, it's directly related to what we're going to talk about in the book of Leviticus today. And so 
I, I preface this with grace that if you found yourself in this position of, of abortion or you don't know where you stand on this issue, uh, as a church, we want to be on the side of, of life. We want to be on the side of supporting those who are in need, offering great grace and compassion, but yet still standing on God's word that, that life is life and is valuable. And so there's just two abortion statistics I wanted to point out as we get into this passage in Leviticus. But the last time that an abortion statistic was um, taken in the U.S. was actually five years ago in 2017. There hasn't been a statistic officially since, but in 2017, there were over um, 860,000 abortions just in the United States of America alone, uh, 860,000. In the year 2019, um, the last statistic that was kept, not of the number of abortions, but that 19% of all pregnancies in the United States uh, ended in abortion in the year 2019. So one out of five pregnancies ended with, with abortion. So these are issues of, uh, of violence, of death, uh, of murder, of blood, of life. But these, these issues are not unique to America. We've seen also this last year uh, the tragic death of tens of thousands within Europe. Um, the, the only statistic I could find for just deaths in the nation of Ukraine from the Russian invasion was, was 4,000. But that's, that's thought to be a radical uh, low estimate of, of how many casualties there have been of this war, and that's just on the Ukrainian side. And so there's been unimaginable tragedy just in 2022 alone. But, but these things, these statistics, they're not just statistics. These are real people, real lives. These things are not just unique to America. They're not just unique to the 21st century. They're not even unique to the 20th, 19th, or 18th centuries. Uh, murder has been happening since the very beginning. Uh, bloodshed has been going on since essentially page three of the Bible. And so looking quickly at Genesis chapter four, verse eight, talking of the children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. So Cain spills Abel's blood. Um, For whatever it means, The blood cries out to God for justice from the ground, and God declares to Cain that the ground is now cursed because of the killing of his brother Abel. And so if you can, for a moment, imagine the amount of blood crying out from the ground today for justice. If if, if one murder caused the ground to cry out, the blood to cry out for justice, imagine billions of murders since this day. Imagine, if you will, the curse on the ground today. And the issue of curse, we don't have a lot of time to get into, but I I like to explain curses in this this particular context. A curse is essentially the removal of God's favor and blessings from something because of unholiness and sin. And so because of violence and the spilling of human blood and the corruption of all mankind, God eventually would cleanse the earth from this curse that existed, from this murder uh, in the flood of Genesis 6. And so we'll look real briefly at Genesis 6, 6, 
and then 11 through 13. Genesis 6, 6 says, Every intention of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. Verse 11 says, The earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them, those who were violent with the earth. And so God spares Noah and his family. And in Genesis chapter 9, after the ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat, and Noah and his family are going to disperse from this place, God addresses the issue of the spilling of blood following this flood. And so Genesis 9, 4 through 6 God tells Noah and his family, you shall not eat flesh, this is animal flesh, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6 says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So here we find out that blood represents life itself. It's how life works, after all. And so out of respect for life, when someone eats an animal, they are not to eat the animal's blood. It says that if an animal kills a man out of respect for that man's life, the animal's life must be taken and its blood must be shed. If mankind then, made in the image of God, takes the life of a fellow image bearer of God, that man who has taken a life must have his blood shed. So this is what we would call corporal punishment. We would call it a death penalty. We could have discussions over whether or not that's appropriate for the world today. We don't have time to do that today. But what this is, this is a guardrail that God gives to mankind to prevent murder. And we have to ask, has it worked? And the answer is, probably in some cases, corporal punishment has prevented murder. But we've really been killing ever since. We've been killing with our hands. We've been killing with rocks. We've been killing with knives and swords, with arrows, with rope, with poison, with needles, with vacuums, with fire, with missiles, with bombs, and with guns. And so the blood crying from the earth continues to accumulate And the land continues to live under a curse because of the fact that it's unholy. So you say, well, what's going on? Well, we have a murder problem. This world has a violence problem. Ultimately, this world has a, a sin problem, but we're talking specifically about violence. We have a problem with violence. And this is what might sound like a political statement, so don't say amen or anything like that. But this this is not a gun problem because we've been doing it with all sorts of instruments. This is a murder, a violence problem. This is not a government problem. Um, Hundreds of millions of lives have been taken at the hands of government, but this is not a government problem. Um, Government policy oftentimes leads to murder, but this is not a gun or a government problem. This is the problem that we are having today, and again, we'll show how this relates to Leviticus. We have, number one, if you're taking notes, we have a life problem. We as a society do not value human life, which was made in the image of God. 
And so we just take life indiscriminately because we have a life problem. It's not only a life problem, but the problem number two that we have today, if you're taking notes, is we have a, it sounds strange, but we have a blood problem. Though Christ shed his blood for mankind, we continue to shed the blood of our fellow man indiscriminately. It's as if we don't recognize the blood that Jesus spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. We continue to reject what Jesus has done for us on the cross and continue to shed the blood of others. Um, I find myself guilty of this, but we actually sometimes enjoy sport and film and video games when it does have blood. And so we have this, this problem with devaluing human life. We have this blood problem And number three, the problem that we have today, it's not just life, it's not just blood, but we have a body problem. We have a human body problem. We have no respect for the bodies of others. And the bodies of others possess their blood and their lives, which bear God's image. And so we as humanity, we use and misuse other people's bodies for the pleasure of our own bodies. We lack respect for our own bodies themselves. We mistreat our bodies. We hate our bodies. And some people even worship their bodies. We alter our bodies to fit our own image and not the image that God made us in to reflect his. So we have a life problem, a blood problem, a body problem, which leads us to where those things come from. The reason we have these problems is because you and I have a heart problem. The human heart is where sin nature resides. Jeremiah 17, God says that our heart is desperately sick. And so Jesus in Mark chapter 7, he says in verse 21, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, which is what led to Abel's murder, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. We love to blame other people for our sins. We love to blame the devil for our sins. Jesus says, if you want to look at the root of sin, look at your own hearts. We have a heart problem. And what we need to understand in this world, regardless of what country or time we live in, is that policy change, government change, will not change the human heart. Only God can change our heart. And God changes the heart by giving us a new heart in Christ. God changes the heart by giving us a new nature in Jesus Christ. God changes our hearts by giving us the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts in the decisions that we make. And so we've got this life problem, this blood problem, this body problem, this heart problem. And the ultimate reason for all these problems, the reason for our heart problem is that you and I and the world we live in has a God problem. We have a problem with God. And I believe that you cannot truly value life. You cannot truly value blood. You cannot truly value the human body. You cannot truly value mankind made in the image of God if you don't believe in God. You can't honor life if you don't serve God, the giver of life. 
and live life the way he created you to live it. You can't honor life if you have a heart fixed on rebelling against God. And if you can't honor, if I can't honor, if we can't honor our creator, how can we ever honor his creation? Romans 1, Paul describes our God problem. Let's go through verse 21 through 32 of Romans 1. We don't have a ton of time to dissect it, but just let me read this over us this morning. Paul says, although people knew, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's talking about all men. So I might replace they with, with us or we. Verse 24, therefore God gave us up to the lust of our hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies amongst ourselves because we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave us up to dishonorable passions for our women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28 says, since we did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave us up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. We are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, of covetousness, of malice. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We are gossips, slanderers, haters of God insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to our parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though we know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, we not only do them, but we give approval to those who practice them. Did I miss anybody? Like, that covers all of us. What Paul is saying is that our problem with God leads to a problem in our hearts. Our hearts, he says, become foolish, corrupted. They become dark. And this leads to a human body problem where we act out sexually in ways God does not intend, where we use and abuse the bodies of others, and where we act out in physical passion instead of love and value for others' lives. This leads to our lifeblood and our violence problem because we experience envy, deceit, and strife, which leads us to murder. And not only do we do these things, not only do we justify these things, not only do we condone these things, not only do we give approval to these things, but we promote them. We teach them to our kids. We protest and demand our right to do them. We celebrate them. We have turned them into virtues, and we outright worship sin. And this is the country we live in today. And when we step back, we wonder why we have a problem with murder and suicide where the answer is right in front of our face. It's because we've got a God problem. We have a problem with God, and we want the whole world to know it. You ever notice how people that claim to not believe in God are incredibly angry with a God that they don't actually believe in? So angry with him. 
we've got a problem with God. We want everybody to know it. And then we are surprised with the repercussions of removing God from every sphere of our life. And we wonder, how did we get here? It's because we told God we didn't need him. So what does this have to do with our Exodus journey? Well, as God lays out this map for living as covenant members of his community, we find laws related to these very things we've just gone over, things which would make Israel ritually unclean and things that were sinful and rebellion against God. Leviticus 17, 10 through 14, here is the map. God says to Israel, If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, On the altar, that's the blood, to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, God says, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Now, the people of Israel weren't, it sounds gross, they weren't just like drinking blood or eating animal blood. What he's saying is you need to properly drain the blood from the meat of animals before you eat it. We're not talking about medium rare steak. We're talking about not letting the blood of the animals. And so laws pertaining to blood continue throughout this chapter. God tells them when you hunt and an animal that you are hunting bleeds, you need to cover the blood up with ground. He says when you eat animals that die from natural causes, I don't suggest that, but when you do eat animals that die from natural causes, he says, you become ritually unclean for a time and you need to cleanse yourself. And so essentially what God does is God gives the exact same regulation that he gave thousands of years ago to Noah and his family following the flood. He gives the same command to the covenant people of Israel. And here's the bottom line about this law involving blood. What he is telling us, what he is telling them is that life must be valued and respected. Since life was required to cover sin, honor must be shown to the very beasts that had their lives taken for food. I always have loved um, looking at the history and and even now the values and culture of, of Native Americans and how they would and still do use every part of an animal that they would harvest for eating so that none of it would go to waste because they respected its very life. And so this law about blood in Genesis 4, 6, 9, it's given now in Leviticus 17. And then in the next chapter, Leviticus 18, without missing a beat, God immediately begins to give the people not blood regulations, but sexual regulations. And it almost seems like there is some sort of relation between these blood regulations and people's sexuality. And as we'll see, there actually is. Because, one, eating the blood of animals would make Israel ritually unclean, just as would certain sexual activity. Number two, these things are related because disrespect for life and disrespect for blood leads to disrespect of the human body and human life as a whole. This is revealed through us using and misusing the bodies of others for our pleasure. Number three, sexuality and these blood regulations are related because if mankind rejects God, 
and rebels against his laws regarding respecting life and blood of human and animal, that rejection always grows deeper. It leads to sin, which leads us further and further away from God, further and further in devaluing others, and further and further toward our own destruction. So Leviticus 18 says this, You shall not do as they did in the land of Egypt where you lived. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does these things, if a person walks according to my ways, God says he will then live by these things. So God then begins to tell Israel and tells us in Leviticus 18 what these nations do and what the people of God are not to do. And if you read verse uh, 6 through 22, you can read all the laws. I'll just summarize them quickly. But there are six laws that God gives in regard to sexuality. Number one, again, sensitive topics. It is awkward. It's gross. But it's in Scripture. God prevents them from having sex with close relatives, including step-relatives and in-laws. God prohibits them from having sex during a women's menstrual cycle. Um, This is the only sexual sin listed in Leviticus that's not listed in the New Testament, and it's clarified that it's specifically due to ritual uncleanliness in Leviticus 20. So, you know, is this sin today? That's a discussion you can have in the privacy of your home. Um, Number three. Adultery. Uh, God prevents and prohibits them from committing adultery. Number four, God tells them not to sacrifice their children to the demon false god, Molech. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with sex? Oh, everything. Um, Why is this listed as sexual sin? Molech was a god associated with fertility. And so if you would pass your children through the fires of Molech, the land might become fertile. Was there futile thinking. Children are a result of sex. So God's saying, don't slaughter your babies. Don't sacrifice your children and shed their blood because of sex and fertility. Number five, God prohibits sex with people of the same sex. And number six, God prohibits sex with animals. So he gives this list. Don't do these things. What he's telling us is that People in Egypt did these things. What he's telling them is that people in Canaan do these things. Israel, you're not supposed to do these things. And so in verse 24, he clarifies, he says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. So here we learn, one, it makes them ritually unclean if they do these things. He says, for by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. Here we learn this is a lot more than ritual uncleanliness. We're talking now about sin. You shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as I vomited out the nation that was before you. So let's wrap this up and how it relates. 
the people of the land that Israel left, the people of the land that Israel is going to took part in what God calls abominable sexual practices, which makes the land and the people unclean, which leads to God's punishment and causes the land to vomit them out. And not only does the shedding of human blood cause such a curse on the land and the people, but here we learn sexual sin also causes a curse on the land and its people. And so when we step back and we look at the year 2022 and the world we live in today and the nation that we live in today, and we wonder, how did we get here? How did we get to a place where we now experience all of this violence? It's because we've become so careless about life. And I believe one of the reasons we become so careless about life is because we become careless about what produces life. We become so careless about sex because we've become so careless with life. And this comes from our hearts, our hearts that deny or rebel against God. And in case the connection hasn't been made to how this applies to our world and specifically to Christians today, the book of Acts addresses these exact same things for Christians. You see, in the book of Acts, around the year 40 AD, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were becoming Christians. And there were Jewish people who were becoming Christians that were saying that the non-Jewish people who were becoming Christians really needed to become Jews before they could become Christians. And so if you guys want to be real Christians, then you need to eat kosher. Then you need to religiously keep the Sabbath. Then you need to honor the festivals. And what you really need to do if you want to be a real Christian is you need to get circumcised. So Paul came to Jerusalem from the Gentile nations to ask the church leaders what to do. Should these Gentile believers follow the laws of Israel in order to be saved? And so the original 11 apostles meet. The new apostle Matthias, he meets with them. And James, the brother of Jesus who oversees the church in Jerusalem, they meet and the Holy Spirit leads James to declare this in Acts 15, verse 19. He says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But we should write to these people to abstain from the things. He's going to give three things that Gentile Christians need to follow. He says, they need to abstain from things polluted by idols. They need to abstain from sexual immorality. And they need to abstain from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim his law. And he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues in these towns. So what's going on is this. The Jewish ceremonial and cultural laws that were pointing to Jesus Christ were fulfilled in Christ. They no longer needed to be followed. However... God's moral law, prohibition against sin, must continue to be followed by all Christians, Jew or Gentile, as they walk according to the Spirit of God. And if you look at this list and you say, okay, as a Christian, I'm not Jewish, I can't eat food sacrificed to idols, I can't eat blood, I need to abstain from sexual immorality, so does that mean everything else goes? Can I murder people then? 
Can I steal? Can I commit all these other sins because I'm only prohibited from doing these things? And so it begs the question, why isn't murder listed? That's because those prohibitions were already assumed amongst these Gentiles. They already knew that murder was wrong. They knew that theft was wrong. These things were assumed. But the reason that James clarifies these three things is because sexual sin was a way of life for the Gentiles in these communities. And the Christians needed to know that they need to now abstain from sexual immorality. They can't engage in sexual activity like their culture did. They needed to be set apart and holy for God and abstain from sin. So James clarifies, hey, I know that the place that you guys come from is sexually evil in every way. You can't be anymore. Number two, he clarifies these things because people in these towns, they regularly sacrifice to idols. And Christians needed to know that they can no longer take part in idolatry. Now, if you fast forward in the New Testament, Paul would later give instruction on eating food sacrificed to idols without worshiping false gods. Paul would also encourage Christians to be cautious of others' convictions so that they don't become an obstacle for them. But he says, you guys need to not commit idolatry any longer. Don't serve false gods. Don't commit sexual immorality. And then number three, we go back to blood. Why would he clarify this? It's because eat or meat, meat was being eaten without properly draining its blood in these communities. And this would have offended the Jews in those communities. And so James is saying, as a Gentile Christian, you need to be sensitive to your Jewish brothers and sisters. And um, I might do a little video Bible study later on, is it acceptable for us to eat meat that is not properly drained of its blood today as Christians? It's fascinating. But for the sake of this brevity of this message, Paul says, don't commit sexual immorality, it's sin. He says, don't worship idols and be sensitive to your Jewish brothers and sisters. So this overarching theme, the state of our world today, things Noah's family, things Israel and the church in Acts need to know, we need to know as well. That in our culture, in our churches, in our country, we have a life problem, we have a blood problem, and we have a body problem. And it stems from a heart problem caused by a God problem. And unless we get right with God, unless we surrender our lives to God, unless we continuously repent of sin and obey God as we walk by the Spirit, unless we do those things, we will continue to devalue life. We will continue to hurt and kill one another. We will continue as a culture to shed the blood of countless infants We will continue to despise ourselves and our bodies. We will continue to abuse our bodies, and we will continue to use others sexually in ways prohibited by God. And unless we get right with God, our land and our people will continuously find itself outside of the blessings and favor of Almighty God. And unless we get right with God, we are on borrowed time until he vomits us out. You might say, well, I can't change the world. 
I can't change the hearts of other people. I can't change the heart of our nation. I can't change the heart of the world. No, you're right, you can't, and neither can I. But we can ask God to change ours. And we can share the good news to others that God can change theirs too. And we can call on God. And we can plead with God to forgive our sin and to heal our land. So I'll close with this verse here, Second Chronicles 7, and I'll have our worship team come up and, and lead us in a time of worship. But going back to the Old Testament, God says this in Second Chronicles. He says, if my people, contextually, he's talking to Israel, but this promise, I believe, applies to all who call on his name today. He says, if my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And I don't understand the complexities of how land is cursed, or how God can heal land. But I know it's a theme that appears all throughout Scripture. And that when we sin and defile ourselves and defile others before God, in some spiritual way, it defiles the very land that we live in. So God says, hey, people called by my name, people called by the name of Jesus, humble yourself. Humbling ourselves now as Christians means that we understand that we are not above the list of sins that we've gone over. It means that we understand that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means that you and I, Christian or not, struggle and are tempted and do sin. So if we would humble ourselves, if we would pray, ask God, God, thank you for your forgiveness through Christ. Forgive, forgive our nation. Forgive our world. Forgive our land. If we would pray, if you and I would turn from our wicked ways, and if we would pray that the world would turn from theirs, God says he will hear. He will forgive. He will heal. The world is broken. Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only solution. So do you have a, a life problem? Do you devalue human life? Do you devalue your own? Do we have a blood problem? Do we have a body problem? We do. Do you and I, do we have a heart problem? We do. But God can change it. Does our society have a God problem? Yes, it does. But we too, who now follow God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we who once had a God problem who now have been reconciled to God, it's now our duty to share this grace, this love, this hope with others to know that they too can be reconciled to God and have their hearts healed. And you and I ought to pray daily for our world, for our nation, for our state, for our city, for our neighborhoods, for our schools, that God would hear, that God would forgive, and that God would heal. So would you join me in prayer?
God, as we look through uh, your word and as we study uh, these laws, God, show us and remind us how these laws, even the ones about ritual or cultural cleanliness, how those might apply to us today. God, especially show, remind us how those laws regarding sin are for us today as well. God, I pray for each of our hearts that you would humble us, that you would help our hearts to value the lives of others, to value the blood that you shed for the forgiveness of our sin, to value the bodies of others and to value our own bodies as well. God, I pray that we would seek you and your kingdom first. Remind us that we have been reconciled to you. Pray that we would put you in front of all things, that we would not have an issue with you, but understand that that issue was resolved through Christ. So Jesus, thank you for fulfilling the law. Thank you for following the law. Thank you for dying in our place for the laws we could not follow. Thank you for your resurrection, which gives us life to walk according to your spirit. Help us to walk in your forgiveness. Help us to walk in your grace. Help us when we come in contact with those who devalue life, who devalue their bodies or the bodies of others, to offer them grace, to offer them love, to offer them hope. And God, we as your church, we as followers of you, redeemed by you, we ask that you would um, just forgive collectively, God. Forgive our nation. Forgive this world of our sin. Help people to come to you in repentance. And God, please heal our land. Please, God, help us to walk in the blessing that you have to give. Help us who now are holy because of your holiness. Help us to bring holy grounds, sacred grounds in our hearts to whatever place we walk on, whatever ground we step foot on, that we might bring hope from you. Lord, I pray that your word would do its work today, that what was spoken and read would not return void, would challenge, change, convict, and bring hope. God, for anyone who does not know you, I pray that you'd show them your great love for them, your great desire for them to be in relationship with you and to have life, that they might put trust in you. We ask in Jesus' name.